We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. everyone and welcome to Archaeo Animals, the podcast about the archaeology of animal bones. On this month's episode, we'll be discussing ancient goddesses, eggs and bunny rabbits within the zoo archaeology of lagomorphs. And with you as always, Simona Falanga and my co-host, Alex Fitzpatrick. Do you have anything really pressing you want to say? Maybe something that you have in all caps on the uh, show notes right now? With, uh, hold on, let me think. One, two, four exclamation points, folks. Four. Wow, no, that, that's serious stuff. Yeah. I was trying, trying to find the right way to phrase it. So yeah, this first disclaimer, rabbits and hares, for that matter, are not rodents. So that's something that gets brought up or that I've heard in conversations an amount, I think mostly in Italian more than anything, because the verb for gnawing, mm-hmm. so like, is that rabbits gnaw in English as well? Is that the right term? Yeah. It would be rodere in Italian. So because they do that, the sort of that chewing, a lot of people presume that rabbits are rodents because they gnaw. It doesn't have the same effect in English, but rabbits are not rodents. Well, I mean, like, even, I was going to say, even morphologically, if you look at their teeth, if, like, let's say you just had their teeth, I could un- I can understand mixing them up in terms of, like, you know, those gnawing little incisors and stuff. Because they do have a, a similar structure. Yeah. Similar, but, but not, not quite. But, yes, neither habits nor hairs are rodents. They belong to the family of lagomorphs, and specifically the... Leporidae family. Leporidae. I had no idea how to pronounce that word until you just said it. A lot of this podcast is me learning the pronunciations of words that I've only just read in my head. And we probably pronounce them wrong half the time. Probably. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I go by the very little Latin that I've done at school. Sorry, I was going to ask what a lagomorph means. Does... Yeah, I mean, like, what does lago and morph mean? Something in the shape of a lago. <laughs> there you go. Do you not know what a lago is? No, you no, fool. Simona, please. <laughs> Show me, pull out your Italian, which is basically the daughter language of Latin, let's be honest here. Yeah, wait, yeah, you should, you have no excuse. Yeah, exactly. Italian's just Latin, but a few step with a few extra steps, you know? Yeah. Ish. See? Even you say ish. <laughs> See? That's the same as in Latin. Ish. The verb to maybe, you know? I don't know where I was running around with that, but I'm sure uh, lago must mean something. Is it in the show notes? Yes. In my head, it's saying lake, but it's not lake. Because... Um, <laughs> what, um, what else is in... It means something, but thank you for highlighting my own ignorance. My ignorance as well. I, I have no idea. Uh, I'll go back to my ignorant, um, my little ignorant corner. Sorry. Well, I mean, it's not really a corner as it is like a podcast, I guess. Are you calling my entire podcast an ignorant? 
No, I'm calling all of us collectively ignorant because none of us know what <laughs> it means. It's in the shape of a lago. There, yeah, you know. Whatever a lago may be. It's fine. Probably not lake. They're not in the shape of a lake, although rabbits can be pretty liquid. Yeah, no, and I think we'll, we'll probably get into that <laughs> at some point. But anyway, the, the main two species that we're going to cover in this episode are hares and rabbits, because they're the ones that are most often encountered in the archaeological record, yeah. at least in, in the region that we, both Alex and I, tend to have knowledge around. Sorry, I'm like, I was trying to find the definition for a lago. <laughs> it was going to annoy me, and I couldn't find anything. I don't think I, I wrote it in right. I'm Okay. <laughs> What were we talking about before we went on this Latin kick? I believe you were going to tell us a bit about hares. Oh, yeah, hares and rabbits, but mostly rabbits. Both. No, both. Ish. Yes. So, I mean, to be honest, actually, I didn't know the difference between rabbits and hares till like maybe, I don't know, a couple months ago. Okay. Well, no, I'm just like, because I, I, I actually find them in my own research, and I honestly, honestly didn't think there was much difference. That's, that's like, you're not alone in this. Yeah, I thought they were just kind of the same. <laughs> You'll find that actually the Romans just called oh. them all hares. To them, they were just all hares. Actual hares are hares. Rabbits also hares. Also, hares coming from the Iberian Peninsula. It's what they call rabbits. Can't get through one episode without hearing about the Romans. My goodness. No, it's once again been zero episodes since the last Roman reference. I think we'll live, though. So, yeah, there are actual differences. A lot of them are a bit more, I think, noticeable if you're dealing with them alive. <laughs> I know hares tend to have those, like, longer ears, bigger eyes, and they tend to just, like, generally be bigger that's kind of something I think you find uh, osteologically as well. Yeah, I guess the, that's the, long, I... the longer limbs as well. Yeah. Because I guess sizes do overlap to an extent, especially mm. if you look at so the more modern rabbits, where like a service since a rabbit fancy, you get all these weird and wonderful breeds. Uh, and some yeah. do, do get quite large, probably larger than a hare, some of them. Like if you look at, like, I think, Dutch lops are, uh, or, is that, or the Flemish, look, they're, they're meant to be. Huge. Yeah. There, so it has, taxonomically speaking, the genus is Lepus. Mm -hmm. And then you get various sort of Seuss genus, that's the term for it, depending on the geographical location. So the ones we tend to get in Britain, at, le at least, you have the mountain hare, the Lepus timidus, and the mm. brown hare. Yeah. Which are, only the mountain hare is actually native, while the brown hare was introduced. Again, a very strange, like, differentiation that I had no idea of, nor did I know that there was a mountain hare or a brown hare until I started working on British zooarchaeology. I am just so blank with no knowledge in my brain <laughs> until I moved here, apparently. Yeah, but again, it's, it's one of those things that they easy to distinguish if they got, you know, all this, their squishy bits on yeah skin stuff like that exactly but yeah uh the one i guess interesting thing about hares that unlike rabbits they're not burrowing animals but they will however take advantage of natural depressions in the ground to seek shelter mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So they don't have that burrowing habit that rabbits are renowned for and is actually reflected in their own sort of taxonomical uh, name, which is a mouthful to pronounce. Taxonomically, uh, the scientific name for rabbits is... You can do it. Oryctolagus cuniculus. There you go. See, I couldn't do that. From cuniculus being like a tunnel. So and that's from their ability and uh, keenness on digging tunnels. And as a rabbit owner, I'm widely aware of that, as my rabbit keeps inexorably trying to tunnel his way out of his hutch. <laughs> oh, but he's so cute. Yes, he just he's incredibly cute. He just also happens to have an appetite for destruction. Well, the funny thing, actually, about rabbits and the fact that they burrow, which just seems like when you hear that fact, you're like, oh, that's just like a nice thing to know. But like, archaeologically, it's actually incredibly important to know because when animals such as the rabbits... Uh, burrow through the archaeological record, they can actually, like, dismantle things. Bioturbation. What? Bioturbation. guess will be the name for it. It's like disturbance. It's either... It is. It's either disturbance from burrowing animals or roots. Huh, you learn something new every day. I did not know there was a word for it. Uh, I was trying to use the word dismantle. Um, I mean, also not wrong. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, I guess to kind of back up a little bit, basically when you're dealing with the archaeological record, a lot of times it's not a perfect layers when it comes to like context, but you know, it kind of is. So burrowing animals such as rabbits, you know, they'll, they'll burrow, they do not care for context, which is rude, to be honest. So sometimes you'll get like a jumble of things from different time periods because of those burrows that they've made. It's really rude, I think. Yeah, be like, oh, what's this uh, tobacco clay pipe doing in my Roman ditch? Hot take. Rabbits, rude. I've said it. I'll say it again. Also, they smoke, evidently. <laughs> yeah. Bad for your health. No. Nah. What's a rabbit doing with a clay pipe? That's why I want to know. All right. You know something that we don't. So there's a rabbit conspiracy going. There's always a conspiracy going. But it's not just that, because they can also mess up them dating just by inconveniently burrowing into something and dying. In yeah. There. Oh my gosh. We'll, we'll cover it. We'll cover it in a little bit. But of course, because of our current estimated timeline for introduction of rabbits to different parts of the world, you can use their remain to date the context that you're excavating but then again was that rabbit actually meant to be there or did it just burrow its way in there again extremely rude <laughs> no one asked for those inconsiderate bunny rabbits mm, yeah exactly but yeah we have the mountain hare which is native uh and then we have the brown hare which is introduced and then you get rabbits which are also native to britain but they're actually naturalized yeah, because they're technically, they were introduced, I mean, we'll, we'll discuss it in more detail later on, but they were supposedly introduced to Britain during the Roman period, unsurprisingly for everyone. Yeah, they've been here for so long that for all intents and purposes are naturalised. So I think if you ask a lot of people whether like rabbits are native or not, like the, I guess a fair few of them will say, oh, just native. Yeah, it's very confusing. But let's move on to the uh, morphology of lagomorphs. So uh, one really interesting thing about them, uh, <laughs> literally something I have never noticed despite working with so many skulls and teeth of lagomorphs is that they have no canines. 
literally not noticed it. How did that not occur to you? Because uh, clearly I've never noticed that there are squirrels here. I have, I was confused if crows existed in this country. I just don't pay attention to anything. Well, having mostly an herbivorous diet, uh, lagomorphs do not have canines. The interesting thing about their dentition is that their teeth all grow continuously, which is also part Ooh. of the reason why whenever you get a pet rabbit, you always get told by vets and experts to always keep an eye on their teeth because, of course, they need to be filed constantly sort of with a diet of mainly hay. And of course, if they don't get that and their teeth grow too long, it leads to all sorts of problems. So yeah, so there's a thing. Ooh, gross. <laughs> to be fair, I've always found their teeth really weird looking. They're very, um, I don't know what the word is, but... I, I do find them a bit unsettling, <laughs> so I try not to look at my rabbit's teeth too much. Not that I usually have much of an occasion to, unless I'm checking, just to make sure that his teeth are getting filed properly. Another interesting thing about the dentition is actually their incisors uh, are separated from the rest of the chick teeth by a diastema. So actually there's a break between the incisors and the rest of their teeth that are further down. You would have noticed uh, on a rabbit skull that there's quite a bit of a break. Which is nice because even without that, the rabbit skulls are so unique in comparison to other mammals, especially smaller mammals. But uh, it's extremely helpful to have that. By the way, you know what's horrifying is uh, when you pick up a rabbit skull and the incisors just kind of slip out. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me, <laughs> by far. It's very upsetting. The chick teeth are prismatic in shape. And all, like with few exceptions, all tend to mostly look alike. So you can differentiate between them, but yeah, good luck. Now, in terms of telling hares and rabbits apart of course like we have the thing about more elongated limbs in hares and still talking about dentition i mean their teeth are very similar mm -hmm. so i guess dentition will probably not be a good thing to use to tell them apart nope but in terms of, i guess in terms of cranial shape again because hares tend to have larger eyes so you're like you're looking at larger orbits in a skull but to be fair, they are fairly distinct like rabbits and hares in terms of skull morphology, aren't they? A bit, but the problem, of course, as with all zooarchaeology, is that you never get them perfectly intact, which is why I, um, at least in my research, I literally have a in-between category for like, it's a lagomorph, I can't tell if it's a hare or a rabbit. It's just, sometimes it can be so tricky because zooarchaeologists can't have nice things. <laughs> Because also, in a way, wild hares tend to be larger than rabbits. Sizes do overlap. Yep, exactly. And then, since you mentioned it, with there's that issue of wild and domestic. Uh, they can be domesticated, but domestication is pretty uh, recent in the grand scheme of things, especially when we talk about domesticates. You know, we usually talk about it in like thousands of years, but it's not necessarily the case here. Yeah, because I think rabbits, they were domesticated. I mean, the jury's still out on when rabbits have been domesticated. Of course, it's the usual case that probably there were, there were many attempts of domestication during different time periods and different geographical locations. But comparatively, it's a lot more recent than, say, sort of the Neolithic period for... Everything else. <laughs> pretty much everything else but rabbits. So differences in morphology have really only started showing up recently. Yeah. So a domesticated archaeological rabbit is likely to look very much alike a wild rabbit. 
Yep, we can't have nice things, clearly. Yeah, because I guess <laughs> that they would have been tamed, but I guess maybe the only selection that would have been carried out, aside from tameness, which doesn't necessarily show on bones, <laughs> yeah, um, I guess would have been to obtain different fur colours, as they've been accepted used for pelts, but that's probably it. <laughs> They're very hard. And uh, I think after this next break... We will get into how difficult it can be. And also talk a bit about the Romans, which I'm sure Simona will love to do. Uh, if I have to. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code animals everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back. And just want to point out, uh, during the break, Simona looked up what Lago meant. <laughs> so I was looking at the language because it comes from the Greek. Lagos, which literally just means hair, as in the mammal hair. So lagomorphs are hair-shaped mammals. So what did we learn? Don't trust words because nothing makes sense. And I hate it. <laughs> that was so not helpful. Hashtag nothing makes sense. <laughs> nothing makes sense. Let's talk about uh, lagomorphs more specifically now that we've gotten the, uh, the basics done. So why do we find hares and rabbits in the archaeological record? Because people put them there. As part of our grand rabbit conspiracy. <laughs> um, I mean, hares, of course, have been extensively hunted yep. for, uh, since time in memoriam. There is, I guess, evidence of that in, in the archaeological record. So if you find them in a refuse pit uh, with the usual cut marks, that means that they have been butchered, likely for food. Mm -hmm. You might find them with taphonomic marks that indicate uh, them having been cooked. Because you also get evidence in the written record, you find evidence in art. Oh, everywhere. I mean, I was just thinking about how I think this is more uh, like anecdotal, but like at least with art that I've seen, specifically classical art, I feel like hares are like the animal that's always being hunted in a lot of these artworks. Yeah, I mean, the one Roman evidence in art that mm -hmm. I've got to provide here something, is... Uh, something different, Rome. Yeah. Well, to be fair, we're moving from the centre of the empire, moving a little bit more on the outskirts. Fair. Because this one um, example is a mosaic of in a very nice uh, Roman villa in Sicily called Piazza Medina. So it's the Villa Piazza Medina of the town of the same name. <laughs> The, the mosaic in question is called the Little Hunt. So you have a huntsman on foot 
me hunting hares, even though the pictures of huntsmen on horseback, hmm. you find that elsewhere, they're also hunting hares. However, what is interesting is that you do also find some depictions, like both like mosaics and painting, in both Italy and Britain, that depict um, hares being either being around or held by people mm-hmm. in, in, in a non-killy way, just as a, as a pet or as an animal that was just around. And interestingly, when they are held, it's usually by children. Oh, yeah. I was just literally just thinking about that because I was like, I'm pretty sure they're only really held by children in uh, depictions. Which in a way is interesting because if you look at rabbit ownership today, of course, you know, and I think traditionally rabbits were seen more as a, a children's pet because for, for a long time they were seen as an animal that was relatively easy to look after. So it was like a child's first pet mm-hmm. sort of thing. So it is, um, I think, I don't think that association is necessarily true anymore. I think it used to be the case that rabbits were seen as a mainly a children's pet. Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how long that kind of was, you know, an association, really. I mean, of course, those children may have been holding rabbits for all they knew, because as I said previously, the Romans could not tell the difference. It was all hairs to them. (laughs) Yeah, like you also get in the written record, like specifically Britons supposedly kept hairs as pets, according to Julius Caesar. But again, usual, like big, big, big pinch of salt with a written record. <laughs> uh, yeah, as we all know, Julius Caesar was a notorious liar. Uh, why would you lie about hairs as pe- uh, I, I don't I don't even want to know. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you, clearly? Listen, uh, my hot take about Julius Caesar is that he had too much time on his hands and did a lot of lying in text. <laughs> hot take, I know. <laughs> Julius Caesar, you are being called out. Just saying. I- I'm sure he's very upset. <laughs> As I was saying, they could not tell the difference between rabbits and hares. They just referred to rabbits as hares, or a different type of hare, that was found in the Iberian Peninsula. And in that, they were not wrong, because rabbits do originally come from (laughs) the Iberian Peninsula and parts of France. Mm -hmm. And they've been sort of introduced sort of everywhere else only at a later date. And from where things stand at the minute, so the introduction of rabbits to Britain uh, seems to have some parallels um, with the fallow deer, which we discussed a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Because as far as we're aware, at present, they were first introduced by the Romans, (laughs) but they didn't get fully established until the Norman period, much like the fallow deer. And although there is evidence for rabbits in earlier archaeological contexts, the issue is that up until recently, those uh, specimens have never been, I don't know, tested for ADNA or carbon dated. So some of things still need testing. The ones that have have uh, shown that they do tend to be intrusive. Because from later animals, yeah. Are Again, yeah. that's that issue. So yeah. the first sort of confirmed case that's had both um, C14 dating and ADNA is a um, rabbit tibia that was found at the Roman Fishbourne Palace where zooarchaeologist Dr. Faye Worley, she identified it and then, you know, like research was carried out after that. It has been proven to be genuine. So it is a, a true Roman rabbit. <laughs> So I was also thinking that entire time, because uh, I, I obviously knew the story too, because I've talked to Faye before. 
it's I feel like this is also an encapsulation of the entirety of archaeology these days, where just some things are haven't been tested. Most things, really. Well, no, because it's it was it's only in the grand scheme of things, it's only relatively recently that these sort of scientific methods have started sort of seeping in through into archaeology. So it would not have been common practice. Well, when like Fishbourne was done, what in the sixties? So something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was a while ago. So I guess part of, like, aside from carrying oh, out new analysis, I guess something that uh, we are getting around to doing is also looking at all these old sites and see how we can revisit that archaeological record. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> Ugh, gosh. But yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. And specifically with rabbits, it's interesting because, like we said, they have this tendency to burrow. So it makes it it's already difficult enough to kind of suss out the domestication, not domestication, uh, the uh, introduction of certain species. But because they burrow, it's just like 10 times I mean, sometimes harder. it's quite obvious because you, you will actually find the burrow. Yeah, yeah. So like going through this, I don't know, this pit or ditch or whatever you're digging and it's like, what's this thing? Oh, it tunnels. Oh, right. <laughs> but sometimes it's not. I mean, it depends on the site and, uh, you know, the, the whole thing of archaeology is that it's uh, going to be the hardest thing possible, from what I understand. Yeah, them burrowing animals. Ugh. Just don't burrow. It should be so easy to not do that. Look at hares. Hares don't necessarily burrow. Don't tell rabbits to act against their nature. If they want to burrow, they can burrow to their heart's content. I'm anti-burrowing. You heard it here first, folks. Okay. Of course, rabbits, much like hares, were also extensively hunted. Um, We actually have um, evidence of uh, rabbits being hunted ever since the Paleolithic in Northern Europe. Which is wild. Yeah. No, that's wild. I mean, I guess, like, they're they're probably not the hardest thing to uh, hunt. No, I guess not. It's just, it's interesting uh, to think of, like, how when these animals become the hunted. Uh, because when you talk about other things like like bigger game, you're like, yeah, of course those things are hunted. Anyone would look at that animal and be like, that's got to have a lot of meat. Because even hares are still relatively small. <laughs> Just find it interesting that, that someone was like, we're going we're gonna to eat that <laughs> for sure. I mean, if you're hungry, you're hungry. And don't yeah, right. it. You've got to think in a rabbit stew now. Mm, rabbit. <sighs> But yes, so rabbits were, of course, extensively hunted. They've proven to be a fairly good food source, Mm -hmm. especially in the post-Roman period, because for reasons, and let me know if you do know the reason why, rabbits uh, were believed to be a substitute to meat during Lent. Hmm. I mean, I knew about fish. Yeah. Because at the time, the medieval period, apparently fish wasn't meat, apparently. For reasons, but and neither were rabbits, so they were actually extensively kept by monks in the post-Roman period of Europe, so they could eat them during Lent instead of meat. Yeah, which incidentally is also when uh, it's believed that rabbits may have first been tamed because they were like uh, sort of actively sort of bred and kept in, sort of not confined. That's not the right term, but yeah, they were kept literally in hutches and just bred extensively for 
food. So it is believed that that's when they were first started to get tamed. But then again, it all comes down to the the usual. It was probably not a single domestication event. It probably happened several times yep. in different time periods, different geographical location. Of course. Should have that on a t-shirt. <laughs> domestication. Never once. Never, never a single event. <laughs> and I think like rabbits as food source, they were well established sort of um, by sort of the later medieval period as well, where they were actually highly priced and indicative of high status. Mm-hmm. And once again, they were purposely bred and kept in hutches. Yeah. And I feel like maybe this is, I don't know, this is more of an American thing, but I think they still remain kind of like a high status food. Because anyone I knew growing up, like, if you ate rabbit, it was probably at a fancy restaurant, you know? I don't know if it's different in other parts of the world. But speaking as an American, of course, the most important ones. I was just, I had a quick question. It's actually relevant. It is relevant. (laughs) Oh, no. So if you remember back to the episode about the cows... Yeah. You know, the cow episode. Yeah. And there was a situation in which there was an extremely large cow going by the name of Knickers. Oh my God, I miss Knickers. So anyway, that cow grew to an enormous size, right? Yeah. Uh, Obviously through domestication, through genetics, etc. Would it be possible if we domesticated the rabbits further to make massive rabbits. So like a, a knickers-sized rabbit? Well, proportionally so, but yes. Like a like a big old chunky boy. Like a really chunky boy. Real chunky boy. <laughs> I mean... Chunky. Well, to be fair, we already have that. It's called the, the Flemish giant True. rabbit. Yeah, okay. So we've, we've already kind of answered your question. Wait, wait, how big is the Flemish giant rabbit? Big. Although I feel like it's... Uh, the Flemish giant rabbits weigh, on average, 15 pounds. Um, in real real terms, how much is 15 pounds in kilograms? Because that's so like slightly over one stone. No, kilograms. Uh, oh, six, 6.8 kilograms. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're back to metric. Oh, gosh. 6.8 kilograms. Still don't get it. Lived here almost five years. Don't get it. <laughs> right. Anyway, I understand that now. So, yeah. Yeah, because I think with knickers as well, I think we discussed it at the time. It's also because knickers wasn't really a cow. It was a steer, yeah. if I remember correctly. I so, yeah. so they will be bigger and taller. So I think it was just a slightly larger than average steer. Big chunky boy. Are there other giant rabbits, or is it just the, is the Flemish one like the biggest one that you guys know of? I think it's one of the biggest that I can think of. Yeah, because some of the lop breeds are like the English lop is pretty yeah. big, but not to that size. And mostly just the ears are huge in English lops. Like it's it, it's ridiculous the, the the size of the ears. I mean, I've seen some really big rabbits on Instagram, so. Hashtag big rabbit on Instagram? I don't know. It's just like, you know, you look up those chunky boys, chunky animals. It's a habit. It's fun. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the Flemish giant is probably the largest breed that I can think of. And, you know, being large it was probably good for people who kept uh, rabbits because one of the other things that 
they would use them for is their pelts. Uh, kind of similar to how we talked about uh, cats as well, using those nice shiny furs as pelts, which is also, I guess, sad to think about. <laughs> yeah. But thing with uh, rabbits, I mean, their pelts are sort of still used. Uh, true. Yeah. And actually, did you know that you could make wool out of a rabbit? I'm going to admit something very embarrassing. Uh, I knew that because of a video game. Thank you, Stardew Valley, for teaching me that. No, because the way, like, one of the um, sort of modern breeds of rabbit is the Angora. And that you would have heard of the term Angora before. So, because if you look at the composition of your woolly jumper, you might find out that a percentage of it is Angora. And uh, you might be wondering, oh, it might be some weird sheep thing that I've not heard of. That's actually rabbit. And as we all know, Angora Sweaters was once loved by greatest uh, director of all time, Ed Wood. That's a reference for like five people. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, so the, I don't think like rabbits don't actually get harmed. You just mm-hmm. that you have to groom them constantly and sort of, and uh, well, then uh, you can actually mm. spin it and knit yourself a scarf. Rabbit scarf. Out of your rabbit's <laughs> shed fur. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, clearly there were a lot of reasons why uh, people in the past would be keeping rabbits. Uh, and, uh, you know, eventually, uh, a bit more recently, uh, they started keeping them as pets as well. Because yeah, I think it's a quite recent thing, rabbit fancy. Yeah. So not unlike cat, because the cat fancy didn't start until quite mm-hmm. late as well. Because now, like uh, fast forward, and we've got a plethora of rabbit breeds, uh, which vary dramatically in size, morphology, fur color, and type. So, like morphology, the one that springs to mind the most is uh, lop breeds. Mm. So, with the one with floppy ears. Yeah. So my rabbits are lop no. of some description. Of course, you have uh, like the Flemish giant, which are huge, and dwarf varieties, which are really small. You have uh, breeds like the Angora, with what they shed, you can actually make woolen products out of. Then you have breeds like the Rex, which actually has very, very short fur, and it sort of feels like plush. They're the softest thing (laughs) I've ever touched. Uh, Rex bunnies. So yeah, plenty of rabbits for everyone. Yeah, and uh, that popularity would surely continue. Uh, So after we take a break, we will talk a bit more about our case studies and specifically probably the most popular rabbit around. The Easter Bunny? Yes, the Easter Bunny. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
And we are back, and I think Simona was just threatening to make rabbit chili uh, over the break. I can possibly comment. Oh, gosh. <laughs> anyway, we are back with everyone's favorite part of the podcast, the case studies. And tis the season, I guess, uh, for some people who do celebrate uh, Easter. So this is pretty timely. So what is it with lagomorphs, and why do we associate them with Easter? Ha! I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> I think one thing that personally um, springs to mind, pun not intended, is because what it is one of the most striking things that you see sort of in springtime. Mm-hmm. No? Okay. Fighting hairs. <laughs> the hairs come out, they tend to get a bit more active. You see them more, and uh, one of the most striking things that you can see sort of that herald spring is hairs. Yeah fighting because that's what they like doing around this time of year i guess see each their own so personally that would have been an interesting association if but if you're trying to break up the fights are you then splitting hairs Uh, yes yes I got a joke in (laughs) i mean calling it a joke's a real stretch i don't want to hear any of that no Oh, yes. yes. I'm putting my foot down on this. We're not doing it. No. No. Alex, you did it. You did it yourself. I hate this podcast. <laughs> it's the worst podcast ever. Oh, it's amazing. What great advertisement. <laughs> I am extremely anti-pun. How dare you? I'm allowed to say that. You're on the wrong show, then. I, I'm totally pro-pun. I think I, I, we need puns for all. You no, know? we Everyone need me to puns. be unbiased. We need to show both pun size. No, anyway. it wasn't funny. It wasn't, because it wasn't supposed to be funny. <sighs> Terrible. Ugh. Anyway, bunnies, Easter. So I think one of the more common kind of... I, I don't even know if I want to call it a misconception, because... Who knows? Uh, is a lot of people try to make connections between rabbits and hares with Ostara? Ostara? Ostara. We'll go with the Ostara. Yeah. Which is the, I guess, pagan equivalent is probably not the right term. I mean, it kind of is. Happens around the same time. So it probably predates Easter because of how a lot of the original, so like the first sort of pagan holidays slowly turned into Christian ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only issue with those kind of connections is that we don't necessarily have, like, real concrete proof. But, you know, hey, who knows? But I guess the real kind of connection people make when it comes to that is the uh, fertility symbolism. So, you know, bunnies, rabbits, they are associated with fertility. Which we Uh, shall not go into details by. (laughs) Kids, ask your parents. But also that also connects with, you know, the the fact that this rabbit is walking around with a bunch of eggs. Also a fertility symbol. Because, like, uh, rabbits are notorious egg hoarders. Of course, yes. You know, when when the Easter Bunny lays all those eggs I have to find uh, the next morning? Oh, I hate it when that happens. Yeah. You hate to see it, folks. concept of the Easter Bunny that we all know and maybe love, it seems to have or- originated with uh, German Lutherans. 
And that's kind of spread with uh, 18th century uh, Protestant Germans who uh, brought Easter Bunny, which they referred to as the Osterhauses. Houses? Oster? This entire episode is me not knowing how to pronounce stuff. <laughs> okay, something I can say is Osterhase. Osterhase. I used to take German. This is embarrassing. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, they seem to have brought this to the US. And uh, like all good things, it became uh, incredibly marketable and commercialized in America. It's what we do best, truly. And a few other parts of the world, too. In all fairness. Of course. Yes, of course. Of course. Uh, and now we have chocolate bunnies and all the other fun stuff. Although I will say, someone who doesn't necessarily celebrate Easter, I do love a chocolate bunny. I always feel bad about eating them, though. But where do you start, though? That's the really important question we have to cover on this podcast. Oh, the head. Do you start? Yeah, right? You start at the, the, the ears. You've been talking about eating. No, eating. no, no, no. You split it in half. No, you don't. You, you yeah, chomp. you split it in half. And you eat. chomp. Yeah, no, you split it in half down the middle and you chomp each side. Easy. That's so much work. What is wrong with you? You chomp. That's me chomping. Are you hungry, Alex? I'm always hungry. Although, to be fair, I actually uh, had an Easter egg uh, chocolate the other day. Getting, getting early. Getting it in all early. Sorry, all this talk of like eating rabbits and the, the cat has just jumped on my lap. So you go, oh, that's the time come. Can I eat the yeah. rabbit now? No, you, st- you still may not. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the real thing with the, uh, the association with Lagomorphs and Easter is that it's actually the focus of a, another huge project that is currently happening. We've talked about her before, Naomi Sykes, who is a fantastic zooarchaeologist and apparently queen of the uh, overarching uh, zooarch-related project here in the UK, is uh, one of the uh, main investigators for the uh, Easter project. Yeah, which is Once again, uh, another really interesting study (laughs) that is multidisciplinary in nature because it covers sort of zoo archaeology, but also history, art history, anthropology, evolutionary biology, law, natural history. But you name it, it's probably in there. (laughs) Yeah, for those of you uh, who may not remember, but we she's also uh, the mind behind the chicken project or one of the minds behind the chicken project. Uh, she's also attached to the fallow deer project. Basically, if there's a big project about animals, she is probably part of it somehow. <laughs> it's very cool, though. I love I love the idea of these kind of big projects because, yeah, no, I think we need more interdisciplinary kind of projects that tackle these sort of things because we still don't necessarily have any conclusive things to talk about when it comes to why do we associate lagomorphs with Easter? So that's kind of one of the uh, main goals of the project. It's great. I love multidisciplinary projects. Uh, myself, I, I, I picture it like a big jigsaw puzzle and then it all fits together because yeah. like just the archaeology alone, in a way, like it doesn't always suffice. Mm-hmm. And then you get all these different disciplines feeding into it and it's a... It's really good stuff. We'll put the um, website down in the show notes, so please go check it out. The zoo archaeology side of it in particular focuses a lot on the idea of sort of native versus alien or like introduced species, which again is something that uh, Naomi Sykes does a lot of. (laughs) And 
really well. Uh, so specifically in this case, they're going to look at, you know, the native mountain hare, the introduced brown hare, and of course, rabbits. Yeah. So if you, if you want to learn more about what we talked about today, but better, then check out her work. <laughs> yeah. And one of the interesting things is that it may sound like, oh, so how does that actually engage with the Easter, the whole Easter thing? Well, one of the reasons why they're looking at that is because they also notice that the rabbit uh, eventually replaces the hare as the main Easter animal in later British traditions. So that's where the kind of historical stuff comes in and the combined with the more biocultural stuff, which is really interesting. And I love seeing, especially with Naomi, I love seeing these projects get uh, funded and start working because, you know, it's nothing's in a vacuum. You have uh, this, cre- uh, I say creature, but I feel so uh, impersonal. You have this animal that is slowly but surely being spread across Europe and it's also culturally being spread in traditions. So it's, it's a nice way to put those two together. And it's also a more broad uh, research project in kind of talking about how we have animals that we consider native versus animals that we consider alien. And like, how do we, you know, how do humans uh, kind of make that distinction based on our relations with animals? It's, it's a really cool project. It's very big. And like we said, we'll put a link to the project in the show notes. No, it was really good, and I particularly like. I really enjoy sort of like these um looking at these shifts in cultural dynamics. Because I guess like a similar, similar but not quite is like with your traditional Christmas meal in Britain, which is now sort of mm. for the most part turkey. Yeah, which of course was never the case before. I believe it used to be goose. As someone who's only uh, before I moved here, my only interaction with British Christmas was watching a Christmas Carol. That's what I assumed. <laughs> It is now turkey, like an animal that has been brought over from the other side of the ocean and has spread, sort of been become sort of part of traditions here. That's kind of where it all starts coming together. I mean, you have like people in religious studies also looking at this because, as we mentioned before, rabbit was a meat substitute for a Lent. So how does that actually factor in with all this other stuff that we've been talking about, you know? Because, of course, Lent, yeah. Lent also does happen around the same time. Sure, I didn't, <laughs> I have no idea. I think Lent is sort of, it's the, the fast that precedes Easter, but I may be wrong. Sure, I have no idea. That that, that kind of stuff yes, is too modern Lent for me. Yes, before Easter. Okay. Lent is before Easter. I grew up doing Lent. Isn't Lent sort of signifies mm-hmm. sort of the 40 days in the desert? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the temptation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you have to give something up. And it's weird because, like, I think there was the kind of, like, you could have fish on a Sunday, I think. Couldn't remember. I don't know. I, I, I kind of grew up doing Lent, and I, I never actually gave up anything decent. I always forgot that I was meant to give something up, so I don't know. And then I tried to get really, really kind of, like, technical with it. and Like, oh, I'm going to give up coveting other people's stuff. I mean, how am I going to check that? So, yeah. I, I once tried to give up wanting, like, being, like, envious of other people's stuff. Yeah, that was weird. I was a weird child. I can't say it's not, yeah, it, it's not something I've, uh, I've ever done myself. Yeah. But I think, yeah, roughly, it's that you have Lent, and then I think it's Palm Sunday, and then it's sort of the lead-up to Easter. But, yeah, it's also funny, because, like, 
I didn't necessarily grow up in a uh, religious household, so I don't know any of this stuff at all. Uh, we just, you know, like like how Christmas is so commonly celebrated in a less religious sense. Uh, my family always kind of just hid eggs and ate chocolate bunnies. So yeah, this project's really exciting to see the other side of these things. That isn't the like more modern day commercialized version that I basically only know about. I do like, I do love a chocolate bunny though. I think I've never really seen chocolate bunnies before I moved to Britain or fairness. Cause I think back home, we mainly just have Easter eggs. Hmm. And I think you, you tend to have rabbit on Easter Sunday, hmm. which I, I don't have because I, I cannot bring myself to eat rabbit. So I don't. Yeah, Fair I don't enough, I get rabbit. that. Oddly enough, I think in America, the main Easter food is ham. At least that's what I associate with it. Is that weird? It's a thing. Yeah, like is it like 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 a roast ham, like gammon, or what? What do you usually like? Have? Yeah, like a roast ham. Well, not me personally. I had a very interesting uh, Easter tradition, which was I went to Connecticut and we went to a very specific steakhouse to eat. So I didn't eat any of that stuff. Like an Easter steak. Yeah, well, I think I used to get because I was a fancy lad. I used to get, I used to get duck. <laughs> oh, that is fancy. I think duck's fancier D- than duck rabbit. Steak? No, not steak. Yeah. Steak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Duck steak. No, that's got me thinking. Can you get like a duck or a rabbit chili? Like, is that a thing? Rabbit chili is definitely a thing. Really? And I've... I feel like part of the reason why I think that is because of Red Dead Redemption. Why? Because <laughs> I think that's what they eat in that game. I never played it, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm pretty sure rabbit chili is a thing. Duck chili, I don't necessarily know if it's a thing. Well, there is a new episode, the Zoo All Killed Your Video Game Meals. <laughs> we'll have to do oh that at God. some point, yeah. We, 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 well, that will be a future episode, <laughs> but for sure. I... I can all, all I can think of is duck steak. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh no! Oh my, oh, why did you say duck steak? But she was talking about steak. Oh and- my god! Yeah, I know. I know. She went to the steak house. And yes, it, it, I mean, you, you can't really have rabbit steak, can you? <laughs> I mean, I guess you, I mean, kind of, you could. The world's smallest steak. <laughs> It'd be like tiny. Yeah, but like ground oh. meat and made into a patty or something. I think we're losing him. Oh, God. Oh, sorry. I'm just Dang rethinking it. duck steak. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's going to, that's going to stay with me. Yeah, and you know what? I think this is probably a, a good place to to leave our listeners. Absolutely, because after an hour of factual information and research, <laughs> all he takes away with him is dog steak. Woo! woo. I, you got to do that part. Wait, so hold on, Simona, do you get the reference? I don't think she does. Did you ever watch a show based on uh, Donald Duck, like a cartoon show? His three nephews. Like his, th- yeah. Uh, do you know who Scrooge McDuck is, Simona? Yes. Okay, do you remember, do you ever watch a cartoon with Scrooge McDuck in it? Yes. Okay, do you remember what it was called? DuckTales? Woo! Woo-hoo! Uh, yes! Yay! 
I think on that oh, triumphant note, we will end this episode, which is somehow went from t- talking specifically about rabbits and hares to making jokes about ducktails. Because <laughs> oh, in a way, we've gone from rabbits through eggs through birds again. It just you can't yes. let birds go. No, I guess I can't. I, I'll, I'll never let you go. Uh, <laughs> As always, you can follow us on Twitter at ArcheoAnimals. Let us know how you uh, enjoyed or not enjoyed these episodes. Uh, let us know if you want Simona to talk way more about Roman tax. Because, you know, tell your friends about us, rate, review us, whatever. I don't know what else to say. Uh, but yeah, that's been ArcheoAnimals. As always, I'm Alex Patrick. See what a falanga. Uh, rabbits and I don't know, whatever. Duck steaks. Thank you for listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.